for the first year, I had to still labour on farms. I was just helping out on farms when I decided I wanted to go and coach and support farmers. I just worked on farms, labouring, driving tractors, whatever I could get my hands on while I grew this sort of credibility in the space of supporting farmers um, as, a, as a coach or a consultant. I like the word coach. Mm. Um, I don't like telling farmers what to do. It was like, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show the kids that I can do that. All my family were like, it was a bit like the old man when I said to him, this, I say the old man's my stepdad, spraying contractor. When I first said to him, I'm going to go manage this organic farm, he's like, oh, next minute you'll be wearing flax journals and smoking cannabis. <laughs> that was John O'Frew, and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey. From wherever we are, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia, recognising their continuing connection to this land, its waterways, the stars in the skies since time immemorial. We pay our respects to the elders, knowledge holders and to all the generations of First Nations peoples who have nurtured their unceded sovereign lands for over 80,000 years and continue to do so today. G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott, an 8th generational Australian regenerative farmer. And in this podcast series, I'll be diving deep and exploring my guests' unique perspectives on the world so you can apply their experience and knowledge to cultivate your own transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with your host, Charlie Arnott. G'day, welcome back to The Regenerative Journey and welcome to Angelica's office, actually. It might be a bit echoey. Um, I, when at Hannah Minow, I generally do it in my office, which has got a bit of carpet and, you know, noise deadening sort of materials around, but uh, Angie's is not quite as decked out as um, uh, for that sort of stuff. But anyway, stiff shit, I've done it before here and it's worked a treat, so we're going to push on. Um, John O'Frew is our guest for this one. Before I bang on about that, I haven't really got a plan as to what to talk about, so I'll keep it brief. <clears throat> we are, by the time you hear this, we're probably halfway through our webinar series. I think maybe Cherie Gooding would be the this week that you hear this, or might have been last week. Um, that doesn't mean you can't get yourself some tickets. You could certainly buy yourself um, a ticket to the a seat uh, to the webinar series. It just means that you will be... Um, accessing the previous webinars on a recording, but don't despair and think, oh, it's not going to be as good as you know, live. Which, and look, you know, the truth be known, better off to be there live. However, you get the recordings of the previous um, web- webinars that you might have missed. Um, so there's that you can play a bit of catch up on, but also it means by getting a ticket, you get to access. We worked out, I think it was close to $2,000 worth of um, discounted. Uh, courses and materials from the um, the, the webinar presenters. Um, I know Nicole Masters alone, um, she has a 30% discount on a number of different online um, courses, which is a significant saving. It probably pushes the whole package over $2,000. So for the price of the ticket, um, it's almost, I think it's probably looking like a, a what do I work it out at? Uh, 400%. <laughs> 
400% return on your investment. And that's just for the materials you get at a discount, not, not including the, um, the, the value of the, of the, of the, the webinar series, you being online with those extraordinary experts. It also, um, gives you access to, um, uh, able to buy a ticket for the farm day on the 13th of October. I'm sure you're all sick of me banging on about that, but it's going to be awesome. Um, cause we're going to do a live, not, not, the animal won't be live. Um, but it'll be, it'll be a, uh, a breaking down one of our lambs. Um, Darren O'Rourke. Thank you, Angelica, for this lovely, lovely tea. Um, Darren O'Rourke, who was the head butcher, um, at, uh, Victor Churchill's in Sydney, um, for, <clears throat> for many years. Victor Churchill's being, um, a butcher shop we've put some lamb and, and beef through before. But more importantly, it's one, I think it was voted or considered the world's most amazing, beautiful, Incredible butchers, butcher shops. The deck, the fit out is just incredible. So Daz was the head butcher there. <clears throat> he still works for um, uh, for Anthony and um, and the mob there. <clears throat> Excuse me, Vic Meats uh, in a capacity, but he's going to be in a wonderful capacity doing the cooking of the uh, lamb and probably some beef and maybe some pork on the day of our farm field day. He's going to do a demonstration breaking down a lamb. Um, you're going to be eating that by lunchtime and uh, and doing all sorts of cool stuff. Katie Zerner is going to be there, um, Sheree Gooding, um, Stuart Andrews, so a number of our, our speakers in the webinar are going to be there on site doing little demos, little chit-chats. There's going to be a panel session. Helen Lewis from Land to Market is going to be there um, chatting with me about some of the things we've instigated uh, on farm at Hannah Minow to um, improve the value of our capital, um, our natural capital, uh, through different practices, um, biodynamics being one of them, which Hamish McCoy do a bit of a bit of a thing on there. Um, Paul House is going to do a welcome to country, um, which is going to be extraordinary, extraordinary in itself. So there's an action packed. I actually don't know how we're going to fit it all in. We're going to have to come up with a plan. Um, that's probably enough bang on from me. Oh, biodynamics workshops. We're not again. I haven't got my dates quite lined up. So, but go to our website charlieannett.com.au to see where there are biodynamic workshops on that you may be able to attend. Um, we haven't factored one in for Hanamino in spring. Uh, it may well be in November, given we're sort of lining up and doing, um, getting organised for the farm field day on the 13th of October, which you need to be doing the webinar series for to get a ticket to. There's a few, a few tickets left to that. Enough of that. Um, John O'Frew. <clears throat> <laughs> I hadn't met John. I had a bit to do with him on the line and here and there, um, but virtually. But lovely to connect um, physically with Jono. Uh, where I sat now, he's got a farm. Uh, you'll have to listen to the episode, um, so don't press stop or fast forward too far. Um, he'll tell you all about it. But he's just taken up a partnership on a farm. Um, I can't remember the name of the little town we were nearby, but it's certainly sort of south. I hope I'm right in saying southwest of of Dunedin, uh, in the South Island. <clears throat> Beautiful part of the world, magic. We went for a drive around up in the sort of the high country. Um, sat with him in the house. He hadn't quite moved into. He's, he moved in there. He's in there now, um, and um, uh, his his partner is expecting um, a baby very soon. So he's getting all he's living together um for that he's a pretty busy man he's got um uh, all sorts of cool stuff going on and really um loves his regenerative farming has an amazing story have to say i won't spoil it there's been some couple of big challenges um that he's got through and i no doubt uh, well i know there have been 
um, inflection points in his career, in his life, in his personal development, personal growth, um, and it was just a lovely, lovely few um, hours I spent with him there at his at his new farm, um, talking about his life in his new home uh, there in the South Island of New Zealand. And I trust that you enjoy this episode, this chat with John O'Fru, as much as I did recording it, uh, here on the Regenerative Journey. John O'Fru, welcome to the Regenerative Journey, and welcome to. Uh, this salmon pink Bessa brick house. Rugby club <laughs> gone house. Yeah, no, thanks, mate. And I appreciate the, the salmon cracked in. It's just straight pink to me. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Pink Palace. The Pink Palace. So I've, I've turned up um, a little while ago because I've had a look around the farm and um, uh, you, you can go into more detail about where we actually are because that's more, more relevant. I've only, only, I've only just know the you know, skim the surface, no mm. doubt, of of why you're here. But what does, um, given we're sitting here in a mainly empty room that's, that, that will we'll house your family in a short, what, month, a couple of weeks? Next week. Next week, yeah. it's true. Um, and uh, this will become your new family home. Um, it's sitting amongst, in an amazing part of the world. Um, we've just had a look around the well, not all of it, but the 2,600 hectares that you're going to be involved in, and you can sort of tell us how. Mm. But what does it mean to be looking back across um, well, the view? Is that towards where you grew up? So that's the Waitaki River in the distance. You can see yeah. the water there. So um, I do, you, you could go and do a bit of a spin around for our listeners, our watchers. Yeah, yeah. On the tube. Here we are. See out there. Upstairs gives you just a hold. It's only another three metres, but it gives you an incredible um, view out there. And Yeah, so I grew up, we're in the Waitaki Valley. Um, currently we're in Odi which is just underneath Kura, the settlement of Kura, um, uh, right underneath our three um, hydro dams, which are above us. The ones that drove past this morning. The there's three past. there. Yep, there's three there. They sort of go, they're sort of like stacked, aren't they? they so are, right, yeah. One to three. Growing up as a kid in Duntroon, just down the valley, only not even 10 minutes down the valley, the next township, that's where I was brought up and went to school and where my family had the spraying, contracting and sheep dipping business, um, we're always told of the risk of the dams bursting and what to do. There's a certain you know protocol you've got to follow and the main ones get high, you know, get it. Not in that sense of my youth, but uh, you, know, <laughs> you mean ver- altitude ver- vertically? You know, yeah, go, right. Go higher. So well, I did. Um, I did think of that actually, though. What because there's a lot of community, a lot of infrastructure, farms below on either side of the river. Yeah, so, oh, yeah. so that would be catastrophic. Oh yeah, yeah. So you have got Benmore, which is right at the top. It's a big, big lake, and then you've got um, below that Aviemore, and then uh, Lake Waitaki, and the lakes are named. The, the dams are respectively named. Waitaki, Aviemore, Benmore, Benmore being the biggest one, which is right above the township of Otamatata, which you drove through this morning. Yeah, wow. And so they they are predominantly for what? what like they're storaging water for what? The, oh, it's power generation. It's, oh, so it's uh, specifically uh, hydro. hydro. Yeah. yeah. Is it farming as well? Uh, no, Irrigation? like a huge. No. It's um, like it powers 
a lot of the country. Like it's really? Huge. Yeah, yeah, it goes all the way to Auckland. I didn't know it's a few big power lines. There's a, there's a few with inside, isn't there? Yep. Yeah, they're big. all coming from our dams. Big pylons you'll see delivering power all over the country. Um, most of it comes from here. Do you have coal here? There is coal, yep. Uh, Gas? In, in the North Island. Uh, do you mean coal as in like... Uh, for for, for power, power, power generation. Yep, there is. And for some reason, uh, we thought it was a good idea to stop using our own coal and instead importing coal, which um, I'm not sure of the logic behind that, but... um. Perhaps a conversation for another day. <laughs> I mean, we might go there. We might go there this time. I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll dip into a few. We'll put our heads into a few rabbit holes. I'm sure. Um, so yeah. So so you're you're yeah, as you said this morning, very familiar with this landscape because of your your previous sort of activities, farming activities in and around. You, given that now you're looking, you're in in a part of the world. You're moving here very shortly. You're sort of coming back, I guess. You know, especially you know, you're, you're two hours away from here. So this, what is it? Was it? How's that feel for you to be sort of coming back to home or a familiar kind of part? And, and then, then the role you're going to play on this farm. Mm. Oh, it's incredible, man! Because the last five years for me has been very all over the place. Um, went from being uh, quite grounded on a farm. It was my last management role, uh, Hutts Creek Farm, which is a, a 200 hectare mixed cropping sheep and beef farm, uh, which is certified organic. And um, that was that was up in Leeston. And um, that was probably the last time I felt truly grounded somewhere in place um, and went through a divorce and, and separation and kids moved down to uh, Omaru here, which is just nice and close to us where we are now, but uh, you know, over 200 kilometres away from where I was living. Um, so all of a sudden had to sort of uh, work out one, how to, you know, live again on my own after being with that, um, in that ma- marriage relationship for 11 years and having two children, just sort of the basics of like, a, you know, looking after yourself, like the cleaning, the cooking and all that stuff. Um, could you cook? Oh, like I, I could, but like my bachelor years were, you know, on, on farms and I was, Working on farms as a young fella, I would not give what I ate to my children now. <laughs> um, it was a, a, a strong diet of deep fried foods and um, microwaved pizzas and things. But um, yeah. no, it was it was a really powerful experience. And then you know, uh, after that, that sort of it was a real transformation period in my life. Going from doing something that was the first of my challenges in the space, I was actually. We moved up there to take on managing a company called Ellesmere Chemical Applicators, which is a, a agricultural spraying company. So I was went from being the local chemical expert to um, being asked to manage this 200 hectare mixed cropping sheep and beef farm that was organic. And so um, that was really exciting because I, and scary and, and nerve-wracking and all that stuff, because I went from knowing how to grow crops and pastures with chemicals to having to learn to do it without it. And um that accompanied with the divorce, it just left me in this position of like huge um, discomfort. Uh, but then I got really present to the opportunity that this learning, because I all my career, which before that um, management role at Hearts Creek, I was you know eleven years intensive dairy farming in in the you know most conventional sense of when I say the word conventional um, of you know extracting milk from ryegrass and fertilizers essentially. Um, I discovered that, you know, in learning these ways of farming without the chemicals and without the fertilisers, 
I had no access to any of that information while I was farming. You know, I had no way of actually discovering that stuff. It was literally just through being asked to manage this organic farm, which I'll add in now, I was really judgmental of. You know, I thought this farm was rough, untidy, messy. I used to have a judgment like organic people were. Weeds everywhere. Hippies and, you know, flax jandals and all that stuff. But something inside me was like, no, I've got to take this on. Um, And it was almost like in that moment I, I started to question all of what I'd spent my career being proud of, like the being able to control monocultures with all sorts of co- combinations of chemicals, off-label mixes of chemicals, um, pushing the boundaries of applications and timing uh, to um, to discovering that there's a whole world of, of life beneath our feet. And that all of a sudden had me feel, one, really resigned to the fact that I'd spent most of my career literally being a contract killer. Anything that was perceived to be living that wasn't the target crop was where to kill it and I was proud of how I could do that and um, when I discovered there was this this sort of literally a workforce of organisms that are waiting to help us but we're just suppressing them and killing and destroying and and um, obviously it, it I had the, the children moved away I had this breakdown of a marriage I had something that lit me up in a very dark time in my life how many years ago was that just to that's the, almost six years ago. Six years. And, um, and, you know, I found this old house, um, a big old villa that I rented after we moved out of the, the marital um, home. And I was living there on my own. And, um, and, man, do things come home to, you know, like all the thoughts, all the things. Like when you're sitting at home by yourself, I started to get quite addictive to my work again, a bit like what I was when I was spraying you sort of have this workload and it's like feels good to keep on top of things and um, it kind of, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but like this farming mentality that I grew up with was like a, only lazy people have days off and, mm. you know, your contribution to your yeah. family's out there on the farm and not in the house and all this stuff came to mind when I got offered um, this, this job and uh, was like, well, if there is something out there that at least gets me away from being around these toxins, because that's what they, what I was dealing with um, through all of my career, I was at least going to be open to the idea. And when I started, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with this, you start looking down that rabbit hole of soil biology, man, it, it, grab, <laughs> it grabs you by the haunches and you, you're off down the rabbit hole. And, and I, I realised, like, man, as farmers the most powerful thing that I'd discovered in my learning journey of, of discovery was actually just surrounding myself with other farmers. And so we started a discussion group in around Leaston and people started to come and all these sort of, a lot of people I hadn't even heard of were coming to these field days and telling me they've been doing this biological conservation agriculture Everyone's got different terms for what they do, but for some of them, 20, 25, even 30 years, but isolated for fear of judgment and ridicule. And that little field, field day um, slash discussion group, we ended up calling Quorum Sense because we'd really discovered this whole phenomenon of Quorum Sensing and getting to a threshold of 
microbial diversity in the soil, these crazy outcomes, we were seeing that with people. Like you, you got people together with a diverse perspective and give them the space to share. Man, crazy stuff was coming out of these events and we weren't planning them with any great rigour. We were just sort of like, right, this farm, this day, come along and whatever happened, happened. And we saw the phenomenon of quorum sensing take place on a human level. And six years later, it's still one of the most powerful places to be in if you're interested in, you know, learning about different ways of farming is with the farmers who have done, you know, what they're talking about. Not the advisors that I spent my life listening to from straight out of Lincoln or Massey or what have you with the degree to say that they know what they're talking about. I used to attest that. It was like just doing what I was told. I'd much rather hear something from a farmer, think about how it might be or might not be practical or relevant to me, and then create my version of that. Quorum Sense, how did that, how did that sort of, the, the name, it was a great name, like how did it sort of evolve? Well, it was literally, it was, it was me and the other two founders, Nigel Greenwood and Simon Osborne, in my office at Hearts Creek Farm after too many coffees trying to put a name on this thing. And um, there was one of the last suggestions, it was actually Simon that came out with it, he said, you know, we talked about quorum sensing and and like I just explained how we saw it happening on a human level and, and he just said the words quorum sense and what he was referring to was like common sense. Common sense, yeah. And so that was it. We were just like, yes, that's the word and that's what we ran with. And six years later, you know, the organization's a charitable trust now into really? its yep, into Oof. its um third year of of working with the Ministry of Primary Industries. Um, just to extend farmer-to-farmer learning and knowledge sharing. And, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a whole new beast now, really. And quorum sensing, I guess, was the, the, is the, 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 what, what, the, the inspiring kind of phrase. You want to explain what that, mm. actually, that, that, that bit is, that people can put that together? Yeah, so if you think of a quorum being a, a, a group or a community, quorum sensing and quorum signalling is, is sort of the, um, if you think of it like um, you, you get a certain um, – I, I like to draw this analogy. It's sort of like you go into a, a New Zealand, uh, you know, um, 24-hour gas station after a big night on the town and everyone's eating pies. I'm, I'm a, not sure what that is. There's a, I'm sure you, <laughs> some of you might be able to relate, but there's a certain feel in the environment. Um, there's certain people. Um, there's not a whole lot of diversity. And, and the energy is a reflection of, of the diversity of people. But then on the flip side of that, you go to a food court of a mall in a city that's got you know all the different foods on offer. It's, the environment is conducive to all the different types of or most different types of people. It's not so much my favourite place to be. But as an example, you go in there, the energy is different. You, you can feel the energy of all these different people all having their own little conversations in a group. And... Um, and and it's sort of like with quorum sensing is what happens is is we on a microbial level we think of um, the diversity of microorganisms in a soil um, a bit like people chatting in a group. If we've got let's say for example you know just a small handful of different organisms, um, there's not going to be a whole lot of back and forth chatting and firing and um, and what have you. But if you start to lift that and and 
you know, you get the, it's, it's no, no dissimilar to what happens when you diversify your gut flora and your stomach, you know, literally impacts your gene expression, like tells your, your genetic makeup to decide which genes fire and which don't. That's all reflection of your, of your gut biome and the soil is no different. So, and now we discover with people. So you get this, this community, whether it's human microbial in the soil or microbial in the gut, you get as much diversity as you can and the outcomes are no longer like the traditional, you know, barley plus nitrogen equals yield. It's tree plus elephant equals carbon. Like it's it's a whole mm. different formula. It's no, yeah. it can't be a formula mm. anymore. It's mm. The outcomes are just, they're multiplied in ways you just never could imagine. Yeah, so, there's no one plus one equals two. It's one plus one or one plus three equals 12. What's you can't even use the same language. No, yeah, it's yeah. like you you feel it, and there's like there's like an there's like a there's like a um a transformation or a, or a it's a it's like a it's like human alchemy in a way, like or communication alchemy. You know, like it's oh, just yeah. like a what goes in, what comes out is nothing like what went in. You can't actually take it back to its 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 root ingredients or its, no. its root recipe or a single cause. You did so, right, yeah, yeah. 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 There you go. Communication alchemy there, mate. I'm going to write that down, I think, yeah. Oh, sure, a bit trademarked that. Um, so, and then, so so getting back to here, mm. so, because I will, we'll, we'll, we'll try and get back on track. Um, I, I never do keep on track, by the way, um, to like some sort of chronological order, but in terms of now and here and what we're looking at and, you know, so you, you're bringing that knowledge, that experience um, your learnings to a new place of work and life, aren't you? Mm. Yeah. Which we're, we're looking at some of. Yeah, so to really come back to what we were meant to go to, which was how do I feel about this, <laughs> this place? No, I love it. If, you, if you'd given me a straight answer, I would have just finished the, the yeah. interview right there. Yeah, no, it's been, it's, so it's been six years of me um, from that moment of, of waking up, you know, different ways of farming, and I've spent the last six years travelling around teaching farmers with my coaching and consultancy business, Natural Performance, um, which I will be continuing, including what I'm doing here on the ground. Um, but to have this place as like a place we can come, we've got a baby due in September. Um, my partner, whom I met uh, nearly four years ago, three and a bit years ago, Ruby, um, we're due to be married in December. And um, honestly, mate, like it's it's so much beyond, like to say it feels like I'm coming home doesn't do it justice. Like it's um, you know, where we were living for the last three years on my partner's farm that she's been not her farm, but what she's been managing, like a conventional dairy farm. It's been it's been really tough because, you know, she's got this job to do. The owners aren't at all interested in, in in anything but the, you know, high output, high input conventional model, and so for her to be, you know, learning and rubbing off me it left her in this position of actually saying to me, like, I actually don't want to learn the stuff yet. She was very clear about that because she didn't want to learn something that she was excited about but couldn't actually put it into practice because she didn't have the, the, the scope to do that on that farm. So to be able to come here and now the floodgates have opened and she said, like, she's interested in learning and, you know, we're, we're just on this incredible journey of learning, not just about 
how to farm because, you know, what we discover is that actually the way we live our lives is very much a reflection of the way that we farm. And so now we're learning about how to, you know, raise our child in the most natural way, um, including birthing. Um, we're, we're really uh, interested in things like, um, and this is all new stuff for me, like uh, homeopathics and homeopathy and, um, you know, for our child and a lot around, we've done a lot of work together around this sort of mindset communication space, um, you know, to be able to not only have a really powerful relationship um, in the house, you know, with, and with our family, but also um, out on the farm with two very different perspectives and viewpoints to be able to make sure that both of us have a say in what happens on the farm and everything that we have to bring to the table is valid. We don't always have to agree and we're really strong on that. But to come here and to actually now have the scope to actually go and have a play, like it's, oh, it's... Is it a relief? It's a huge relief. It's, but it's also scary. Like it's, it's you know, because I know my tendency to get to a place like this, I've been yearning for this whole time to be back on farm. But, I, you know, I was really conscious of the opportunity of, of my um, ability to educate and uh, my knowledge that I'd um, incurred over the years. Like I knew that needed to be shared. And so the last five years, I do not regret spending it solely sharing that information. But I have been yearning for a place to actually apply all the stuff that I've learned after leaving Hearts Creek Farm, and um, to come here and be offered an opportunity like this to run this farm with like-minded people, to have an opportunity to buy ten percent of the place. I mean, now is the time where I put all of what I've been preaching into practice. So those that you know, we always hear the same old thing. Oh, but what about? You know, what about it? What are the banks going to think of us changing practices? Is it profitable? Does it stack up financially? Well, I'm about to go into that much debt and <laughs> pay that much genuine interest. Um, and, you know, it's now, in, it's now going to give me that ability to, um, to actually speak to that thing, which, which I couldn't relate to before. All I knew was that, you know, farming aligned with nature works. And we see it work with those that want it to work. Um, but as soon as you have a concern about outcomes like balancing the books or a fear of not making it to, you know, balance date with enough cash in the bank or what have you, um, like I don't think you're, you're embodying the, the mindset because, you know, I'm sure we've all heard the saying, you, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. So, you're right, yeah. So I'm coming into this with a mindset that, yep, we're going to be literally putting our whole salary into interest, literally. and um, we're going to make it work. Well, mate, it's been a lovely um, tour this morning and it looks incredibly the, the potential, you know, like you've got great pasture, you know, you've got very varying sort of um, uh, like not microclimate, like sub-regions or little you know, areas where you're sort of heading back. What direction is that one then? What What is that? Um, that would be southeast. Southeast, yeah, yeah. So heading up quite high. What's your elevation here compared to up there? Shit, we'd actually have to have a look. Fair bit. Let's do, are we that casual that I can just have a look? You can do it if you want, mate. So you can fart and burp and drain the spuds. It well, you mean. might not know. I've probably already been doing that. I did. You won't? I, I always suspected. Yeah. No. <laughs> um. I was going. <laughs> I was thinking, <laughs> I think I'll go and open that window. Yeah, yeah. No, that's just this new house smell. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Previous inhabitants. I actually smell. don't know how to find the altitude. <laughs> what do we do? It was quite high. We went up in that little that machine, um, that buggy. It was it was good fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, and poked up there. Um, oh, you know, what we didn't do get a photo. Topo maps. Um, I think you're you're taking lots of photos. No, you and I. That's what I meant to bloody do. Oh, we'll, get one. we'll do a couple down here. So um, what's this here? So altitude four hundred and thirty. So here we go here. 4.30 here. Hang on a minute. Where are we here? So there's Demet Road. We come down here to Spring Hills Road. Here we are here. So we're down here is the bottom of the farm is 300. Yep. We come up to the top of the farm is up to here. Yeah. 1,300. So that's 1,000. Really? 1,000 metres? Yeah, yeah. Jeez, that doesn't – I guess we're in fog, so it's hard to to see. But the other day – uh, we well, we, did, we didn't get all the way to the top, did we? No, when no. we drove that time um, yeah. on the side by side, we were up at. Yeah. Oh, that's still eleven hundred. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because we um, that's interesting. Because the other day at um, uh, like how we are, we stumbling that word. How we station? We did that a thousand meters, twelve hundred meters, um, but it feel like a whole lot longer to to get there. Um, so let's get back to day one. Day one, where was little John O'Fru born? Oh, so I was... Um, that day, Yeah, that far back. I was born day in, one. in Dunedin, uh, four minutes before my sister. So um, we came from a womb with a view, my mum always said. And, um, yeah, I was out four minutes before she was, and we were just tiny. Yeah. Not healthy, tiny? Like early tiny? or you Early just... tiny, yep, and just uh-huh. twins tiny. Yeah. But um, yeah, Dunedin. Oh. That's uh, that's where I was born. And um, uh, healthy enough to get to this point. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, physically, I'm pretty healthy. Um, nah, in, in most respects, I'm pretty healthy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't see that. Yeah, I don't see. I don't go to a doctor. I don't. Um, you know, like I, I really discovered that um, your mindset has a lot to do with your health. Um. And, you know, especially like uh, just to give you an example of how, you know, impactful your environment is and your mindset is on your health. Like my twin sister, love it a bit, you know, um, genetically we're very similar and had a very similar upbringing. She went and moved to the city, became a hairdresser, um, you know, young student in Dunedin, you know, flatting, your diet's not the best. I've seen it. Um, and, you know, in an environment, hairdressing, a lot of sort of gossip. She, one part of it she didn't like was a lot of gossip and um, kind of not so empowering chat, you can imagine. Um, I don't spend a lot of time at a hairdresser myself, but um, <laughs> you probably from what I heard was that there was plenty of that. And, and she developed epilepsy in her early 20s. And um, wow. as like we we sort of in the family like we sort of have a joke that um, my sister because I've got quite a few sisters but my twin sister um, is on first name basis with all of the doctors and nurses at Dunedin Hospital because sadly she is just often unwell and you know we are very genetically similar but um, I at eleven years old went farming and that's really the only difference and. Um, so what prompt? What what triggers epilepsy? Like, what, what is it? Is it is it is a diet environment or lots of things? Like, I, I didn't, mm. I didn't. I guess I don't appreciate that epilepsy can be something that can 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 appear later. 
you know, or, or get work, I don't know. Is no, that- none of us think that, but yeah, it definitely can. Um, so my, my twin sister developed epilepsy and has been on medication for some years. And like I said, in her early 20s, and um, I would say 100%, like, um, oh, look, and this is just, I'm not a doctor, but, but diet is just huge. You know, like what you put in your body, sadly these days a broccoli is not a broccoli and a cabbage is not a cabbage, it's just not. I mean, you think it is, you're buying it, you think, oh, this is great. Then as my years as an agronomist, I know for sure, we're like, we put way too many toxins on our food and we're not, no one's talking about it. And yet all these man-made, because they are man-made um, conditions, most of them autoimmune to do with lack of nutrition, um, are appearing and, and uh, instead of dealing with the root cause, of course, you know, you've got big farmer on the doorstep waiting for the right problem to have the solution for, and everything's in the form of a of a drug treatment of a symptom, not not addressing the cause. So look, I don't, I don't know exactly what causes epilepsy, but um, another thing is my younger brother, who's same dad, different mum, also developed epilepsy in his young 20s. So, yeah, interesting. It's, um, well, it, 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 well, I guess it's an ex- not an experiment, but it's certainly a, that that um, comparison, I guess, modelling is, is interesting in itself, isn't it? Oh, definitely, yeah. And, like, I never go to, like, the only times I've been to the doctors, uh, I went once when I came out of uh, the se- separation before he actually made the call to divorce. I was weeks behind in my spraying. I was a spraying contractor and um, the board, I had a white board of jobs that was just getting fuller and fuller and the weather wasn't playing the game. I remember being on the floor in a crumbled heap in the house one day, just so gone mentally, like just, just not present, just so caught up in the workload and the guilt around not being there for my family and the guilt of not being there for the farmers, getting the spraying done on time. I literally went to the doctor with a concern for like I had some kind of you know depression and went in there, and there was no talk about uh, my lifestyle or anything. It was just like, yep, yeah, no, that's you. You fit the bill of being clinically depressed. Here's a prescription. Go and get this drug. And I was like, I felt like ripped off. I felt like I wasn't even given the opportunity to speak about what I was dealing with, and instead just got given this prescription. And I went over and gave it to the chemist and said. How long is this going to be? I'd never really got a prescription before. And um, they were like, oh, 10 minutes. And so I went home to hang out a load of washing and didn't go. I didn't go back. Something inside me was like, no, that's not right. Um, and so I've had a thing about doctors. Like I fit, I'm definitely, like doctors do an amazing service to, to the people. Like I know that because I'll share at some point, I'm sure, about mm. the, the accident that I had in 2020. You know, that's where they, like I, Man, medicine is incredible, but for stuff that is can be prevented with lifestyle choices, I think we need to be looking at the way we look at health differently in that respect. So yeah, no medication, and you just pushed well, on, pushed on. Back then, like I was very, I was not a powerful uh, person. I was very much a victim. I like to blame everything on my ex-wife and I used to complain about her a lot to my friends and get their agreement and then I was justified in what I had to say about her making me do those certain things and it was just like a pity party man it was like it's no wonder the marriage ended I didn't know how to deal with things in my life I was carrying around all this weight of like 
being brought up in an environment where men aren't showing how they feel. They, you know, this tough mentality of having it all figured out. Where 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 men, especially farmers, we don't, you know, you definitely don't cry. You definitely don't share when you're not feeling, um, you know, loved or or you know, in some extreme cases, we don't even show our love, let alone be open to receiving it. Like, there's definitely a place, like, when I talk about, um, you know, this whole industry created out of treating symptoms, which is the, you know, by at large, the pharmaceutical industry, um, and, and to a similar extent, agriculture, um, that, you know, like, I'm not anti any of that stuff, um, but what I'm interested in is actually the, or what's missing, I believe, is like an understanding of what health actually looks like. And a lot of people think, and it's a bit like farm health as well, a lot of people think it's in what we put on or in what we ingest. Um, like, for instance, you know, a lot of people talk about nutrients for themselves and vitamins and, you know, what they don't understand is it's, most of it's just creating rather expensive urine. But if you can address the root cause, you know, all of a sudden you don't need the treatments of the of the symptoms. You don't need the 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 drugs and the the fertilizers. But I'm, I'm de- why I say I'm not anti is like there is a place for everything. And you know, like a farm that's not functioning, it would make no sense to pull out from underneath its feet the stuff that's keeping it from collapsing entirely because you it will collapse. It's like a drug addict. You know, you pull the drugs away and things the wheels fall off. It's um. You know, I'd like to get it to a point where it's not where the the farmer or the person, the individual, doesn't feel they need to get to that point of breakdown and hey, I need the the something to get me up again. You know, like prevent them from jumping off the cliff to begin with would be pretty cool. And I guess that's what I saw was missing. And so just yeah, went out to start sharing what I'd learnt and through the journey just connecting all these dots which I didn't know were connected and all of a sudden you realise like it's it's um like everything is connected. Like fungal hyphae. Yeah. Let's go back to um early days. Um uh twins born twins. <clears throat> we had that conversation about sort of relative health. Of, of yourself, yourself and your sister, and um, w- where did life take you? Uh, you know, in in your younger young as a, as a young, young as a boy, you know, where, yep. where where were you? What what was sort of occupying your time and your and your thoughts as a as a young man? A real what, simple boy? motorbikes, tractors, and cows. Because you're on farm. Uh, well, I was at the age of eleven, so I was I was had the family with the spraying contracting business and the. Sheep dipping contracting business. So I was brought up out on sheep farms dipping and out on farms spraying with the old man, but never had access to actually being on a farm. Um, and so at, at the age of 11, I got offered an opportunity to go and um, was actually just through my mum enjoying a drop of rum um, with this woman who her and her partner were shear milkers and just from being there at a young age and and mum and her name was Heather would often go and have a few rums and I'd go out with Bevan, um, Heather's husband, and 
um, just enjoyed being on the farm with them and I made myself pretty useful and like especially in the cow shed and, and then they ended up asking if I'd like a job. So at 11 years old I got my first job and it was 30 bucks of milking and they needed me every second weekend and had me as their relief milker. But I was so just gripped by this awesome thing of farming that I just went every weekend, just was only paid for every second and, um, you know, only got paid for the four milkings for the Saturday and the Sunday, um, but just worked the whole day and lived with the couple that were sort of like my other parents. So that that was what, and I was there for seven years till I was asked to leave school. Um, When I was asked if I wanted to leave school, apparently I was disruptive. so the, the teachers or the headmaster or the principal said? The deputy principal said, um, you know, they were sick of me being in detention and missing my bus home. And Year 12? Year 11? Year 10. 10, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, right, because 11, yeah, yeah. I'm with I you. was underage. Like, I had to, yeah. they had to apply for an exemption so that I could leave school legally. And one of the things that I needed to have. Um, as far as boxes to tick was extracurricular activity outside of um, work, which back then was called Ag ITO, which you did on the farm. But every week you went in for a classroom. Everything else was done on farm, and your boss became the registered assessor that would tick you off certain tasks. And um, so I did that, and I needed to be employed. And so I went to my then bosses and said, "Hey, would you?" Um, you know, would you take me on? And and I remember being so nervous to ask them. I was such a shy boy. Um, they said, "Oh no, we don't need someone." I remember my just heart. And, and this was the this was the the people you've been people. doing the weekends for. Yeah, right, weekends okay. and, yep. and school holidays, and and they said, "No, we don't need someone full time." But um, they said, "Well, what we'll do is, if you want, is we'll put you in the staff house, give you a place to stay and uh, stay, and we'll say you're employed because you, I mean, technically are." Um, and they gave me an extra 10 bucks a fortnight. Like, this is not, this was an opportunity for me. This wasn't like a a bad thing. Like, you know, went from earning $120 a fortnight to $130 a fortnight. So I just worked. But you got, you got, you got, you got a roof over your head. I got a roof over my head. <clears throat> I got fed pretty well most mm. of the time. Um, and, and it gave me this opportunity to leave school legally. So, of course, I took it. And, um, yeah, the, and then... Uh, I didn't know, but the next day when I went back to school, uh, my mum my had already signed the document she needed to inform the school of that I've registered into Ag ITO and I've got myself a full-time job. I didn't know that I was going to my last day at school. And I went in and uh, normal day um, of whatever. I wasn't very good at school. I didn't, it didn't resonate with me, so I just it ended up being that I was like a, you know, a larrikin or a class clown. I played up a lot, didn't get any kind of uh, results at school. Um, so that day I went in and at the end of the day went to go and leave and the deputy principal taps me on the shoulder on my way to the bus and says, oh, by the way, that exemption's come through, you've been approved, you don't have to come to school tomorrow. And I never did. I never said goodbye to anyone. Just I didn't have that many friends and went farming. Wow. And did that for two years. The very next day, you went, yippee, skipped out of school. Yep, grabbed my beard. I lived in a caravan as a kid at home. Um, 
big family in a small house and literally just all it took was just emptying my caravan and moved it down the road into this room in the house. And you didn't take the caravan? No, didn't take the caravan. And, and, and jobs ensued then from then on. You, you were, you well, were I was there for two and a bit years and then very quickly climbed the ladder up to management before I was 20. And, and um, yeah, over the next sort of from the ages of 20 to uh, 25, just after we had our daughter Harper, um, I pretty much climbed to the top of my dairy career, being in the top 5% production for the country at one point and big dairy big dairy yep how many cows oh anywhere from like the smallest would be 500 to 1200 really? yeah that's a lot of milk it's a lot of milk yep is that also a lot of inputs a lot of urea yep. and i don't know what other inputs were there being? yeah definitely urea like i used to follow my cows with 60 to 100 kgs of urea every time they left the paddock which was so how many times would a, would, a, would one paddock get an application of that? Oh, seven times a year. We'd Jesus. sometimes do um, like a spring round of ammo or, you know, maybe chuck a bit of... Um, MO being Molly. Uh, MO, what's MO? No, oh, it's a, a mixture of, um, of uh, sulfate of ammonia and urea. Right. Yeah. And, um, wow. you know, there weren't too much... Uh, weren't weren't so many regulations back then, um, and we put all our own stuff on, so it was just a case of, um, like, we knew that that grew our grass, and mm. I didn't understand any other way, and and I progressively so, watched the river I grew up swimming in become unswimmable. Because and, of the nitrates. Mm, or just the toxic algal blooms and running dry, and just we're pumping out of them, and then, you know, sending it back with some extra goodies in the form of what we applied, and... Yeah. It's pretty rich. I remember just very quickly, two years ago, I did a biodynamic workshop uh, in the Barossa. And as part of our workshop, we <clears throat> asked the host to collect some fresh cow manure. Generally, it comes from the farm. But in this case, it was at a vineyard, so they had to go down the road to a, a conventional dairy. So, they, you know, wheelbarrow full of fresh, very bright green manure and reeked ammonia. Reeked. We made our preparation out of it. I, 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 I we hadn't been back, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's been used, and we just pushed on. I'd, I'd never made that preparation with such hot manure before. Oh, yeah. But it was – I hadn't actually seen and smelt really fresh conventional dairy shit before. Yeah. It was really quite pungent. Oh, yeah, and the green, you, you did right. It's um, just a waste. The animals can't handle all that protein, but, you know, back then I just had no idea. It was just part of it. The, the concern was more about it getting on my face than, you know, and, and trimming tails. Like, we again, more symptom treating. We just... Trimming we, tails? Well, just so they don't... Flick. Get, get all daggy and uh, flick from the from the sloppy... Yeah, well, creek. back then we were docking tails, so the cows didn't have tails. Um, As in how much tail? No tail, no. No, nah, mate, we were lucky if they had one or two vertebrae. It wasn't enough to cover the, the fanny of the cow. I've never heard that before. You know, we used to do that. Yeah, and that's because tails just don't need tails; they just get in the way. Yeah, just what mechanical thinking as human beings. Just that's not welcome. Like as a calf, um, sometimes as a calf, but mostly just um, chuck a rubber ring on, and after a few days, what comes? Really? 
and then they brought in rules to say it had to be um certain uh amount of vertebrae below the cow's vulva. Um and then now it's sort of frowned upon to see any I don't know if it's legal or not, but um it's very rare to see people actually docking tails now. They just trim them up. Wow. Mm. Um, I was I interviewed a fellow called Chris Eggett, um, dairy farmer, organic dairy farmer in Australia. Fascinating bloke, lovely bloke. And I went, I, I interviewed him. I stayed the night before. We milked the cows that morning, walking around in the dark at four thirty, and he's showing me this. He's, he's so enthusiastic. We milked. He's only got one hundred and twenty, thirty cows, and we milked. I, I milked them in a pair of pants or a bit bro, a bit lighter than this, so a bit more greeny khaki. And no aprons, no gloves, <clears throat> pants like that, and a shirt. Maybe I had a jumper on, and um, two of us. It was the, I've never milked like that. You know, I never milked before really at all. And his herringbone, so easy, so beautiful, and so relaxed. <clears throat> and I got more dirt on my pants when the dog jumped up and put his paw on there than I did when I milked those cows. Mm. And he says it's just I don't use your hair anymore. Oh mate, yeah. Because he used to go to battle every time he'd milk. Like before they when they were conventional, <clears throat> they'd put their gloves. I think they have no, you know, he had iodine, the whole thing. He said, I don't, I don't go do this in the nude, pretty much. Yeah. And then the cows just poke along and gets it done. They're all chilled and it's just incredible. Oh, I wish I knew that back then. And I was brought up in the society where they were just numbers and, you know, like mechanicalist, mechanical sort of, you know, I didn't see them as. As beings, and you know, we used to treat them very poorly. Like, just not—I wouldn't say like there was definitely no um, concerns for animal welfare or anything. But like, just instead of looking at what's the energy I'm bringing into the space, um, which was often something like stressed, um, in a hurry, rushed, uh, not present, um, and so of course the cows pick up on that and act accordingly, and you get kicky ones, and they wouldn't flow nicely. Um, but now, you know, I, and, and I've got a lot of people to thank for this, but, like, especially in the rope trees, you know, when you've got to keep a constant flow of, of cows walking in, like, you've got to be responsible for the, the energy of the environment. And all it takes is, is one person to come in stressed. Those girls will stop. And, you, like, we used to just deal with that, like, putting the – we'd have a top gate, which was electrified, which would drag hot chains over the cows and – bring the front of them up to save pushing the whole lot from the back, um, oh, yeah. or you just push the whole lot from the back. Hot chains as in a bit of, bit of power through them? Yep. Yeah, right. Yep. Nudge them along. But, you know, now, and my partner's um, really brilliant at this, like she will not use the backing gate at all. She can milk those cows and they all come on, and I know when she's had a rough day, if someone else has been milking, that's perhaps not, you know, as calm as what she has and, and puts the cows in a in a bit of a funk and it'll take her several days to get them back to being calm and flowing just from one person, one milking, changing the the environment. The dynamic. They really pick it up, don't they? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So so dairy, conventional, lots of stuff going on there. Mm. Um, was there, was there did, how long were you there for? Did you, did you go to another job? Or, or, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Went to my first job after that. Went from earning $130 a fortnight, which was incredible. I saved a lot of money. I bought my first car with that um, to a, a salary job and went up to $24,000. And I was just like, 
Oh my god! <laughs> Are you serious? I am rich. You know? <laughs> yeah, cool. And uh, and just worked my way up. Met met um, Taylor, who became my wife for um, worked together for nearly eleven years, and it was kind of like a blur of us climbing the the dairy management ladder with the same mob or different. Your uh, different a few different farms. Um, yeah. Stayed with that crew and and um. So those two managers and then the owner of that farm also worked for him on a different farm. Um, but but mostly up this valley and did a little bit down Southland, um, and, and well, not Southland, but South Otago, uh, Popotanoa, which is just near near Clinton or Clydevale. And, um, and yeah, just just climbed to the top of my career. I would have, you know, got really good at it, but I got a bit bored. Like I, I had this sort of real drive to get good and to get to management and I was working on a farm down Southland and the bosses, um, same couple that were here on my very first farm, incredible couple, um, were on holiday in in Fiji and with the neighbours. And so I was at home feeding our cows and the neighbours' cows this winter and had the staff, one of the staff members there, Arthur, remember Arthur? Um, me and Arthur went to the runoff block to shift the cows, coming around this corner in our little Suzuki Escudo, and there was a Ravensdown fertiliser salesman coming flying down the road, and um, boof, head on. And uh, You're in the buggy and he's in a truck. Yep, he's in a Holden Captiva, and, uh, and I broke my femur, smashed my kneecap into 14 bits, and um, but Arthur was in the back with no seatbelt on and all the fencing oh. gear. He was sweet, not a single scratch on him. Classic. And so anyway, I um, so I had a broken femur and a smashed kneecap. It wasn't until three days after being sent home, just to say take it easy, that because um, the Bell Clue, the hospital didn't have the X-ray technology, so um, all we knew was that my knee was you know like the size <laughs> of a beach ball and that it wouldn't go straight. It sort of was stuck on a, an angle like that. And um, three days of moving cattle with that, waited for the boss to get home. I wasn't going to ring him and interrupt his holiday. <laughs> and uh, they got home and I said to sit down and I said, what's happened to you? And where's the Suzuki? And you know, I gave them the hard news and, um, and, and that I you know, needed to have a, some time off to let my leg heal. Um, they said to me, oh, shit, we actually haven't got that thing insured. And um, so it ended up costing me $96,000 as a 18-year-old. Oh, it cost you. It cost me. So the lawyers come in, and although I was clearly hard on the left-hand side, mm. um, when he came around the corner, he was on his right-hand side. He was coming yeah. in wide. I had a bank on the left, like a cliff, nowhere to go. Only option to break, of course, on the corner with the camber. Mm. When I braked, Suzuki Studios don't have ABS, so I locked up, slid with the angle of the road straight into his correction path. And yeah. so um, they proved me to be guilty, and I, I had this, like, sort of naive um, mindset, like, if I plead guilty, it'll be okay. You know, it'll, it'll work out, and, and did, because it was, it was looking pretty grim. So I said, right, I'll just say, right, okay, that happened. And and they did in the courts. They were very lenient and said, "Yep, okay, well, well, that happened. Um, we're not going to 
uh, they didn't charge me with anything. But I didn't know that then, of course, the insurance companies would come after me, and, and three of them did. And so I was left with that bill. And um, but with, the, the, with the, you weren't the owner of the vehicle. No, but I was the driver. <clears throat> so if the owner's if the, if the vehicle's not insured, then the it's, it, it falls upon the owner, the the driver. Yeah, hundred percent. There's no laws to say that, and it wasn't like something that they did that that was like, you know, I'd never judged them for it. You know, sometimes these things don't slip through our minds when you're busy farming. You don't always think about the little details like that, but um. Mm. Nevertheless, that's what it cost me. So uh, for after that, I went and that's when I came home and, and drove the spray truck for the old man um, because I could still use a clutch just with this left leg. You can actually see with the knee that that there was the front right-hand wheel of the Escudo come through the firewall and smashed my knee up against the seat. Jesus. And the foot pedals of the Suzuki went gas, brake, clutch, and so oh, avoided wow. my feet, yeah. my shins. Yeah, and, they smashed them. And the firewall was here. So, so somehow, I, there's a few stories that we might have time to share about where you think, what the hell? But evidently, I'm meant to be here. Jeez, and meant I, to be mobile. Yeah, so you're getting, you got around pretty pretty well. You, 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 you walked into that shop for that coffee pretty well this morning. Oh, yeah. You Strode in there. Yep, and I've broken plenty of bones. So, um, okay, catalyst for change back home. Spraying and and spraying was a was a um, was a normal thing, as in your family was was spraying. Yep, spraying contractors. contractors yeah. Yep, yep. I was good at it, and it was just a gap filler because I couldn't sit still. So while I had this big thing on my leg, mm. um, yeah, it was either sit at home do nothing or go home and <laughs> drive for the old man, and he really needed someone, so I did, and just filled that gap, and then um, went back farming as soon as I could. And then um, once I sort of got to the point of after having our daughter and um, and what I would call like the height of my management career, really eager for that next step, which back then would have been contract milking, I couldn't go contract milking because um, at 19, after a year of trying to pay that debt and the interest associated with that amount of debt, um, I declared myself bankrupt after some advice. And um, so because I'd been bankrupt, I couldn't be the director of a company, so mm. I couldn't take that next step. And um, saw this job advertised for managing this aerial, you know, aerial and ground operation. I mentioned earlier, Ellesmere Chemicals and Helicopters, um, looking for a manager. I was like, that's me, and uh, just was eager to take that next step in my career. And I just couldn't sit still, you know. I couldn't sit there managing a farm where, where I was bored. Um, I could do it in my sleep, so went up and did that, and did that for four years. And we had our we had our boy Bo while I was up there. It was a funny story that I was um, spraying this paddock of hybrid radish. I don't know if you're familiar. Like we do a lot of small seed production in New Zealand, especially in Canterbury, and it's intense chemical agronomy. It's you know every week you're in there putting something on a side on. Yeah, it's a herbicide, insecticide, or yeah. fungicide. And um, and I had I was doing this paddock and and it's you're in a big self-propelled high clearance machine and you know things don't happen quickly especially when you've got to travel, um and my then wife rings up says I'm going into labour and I had five hectares left to finish in my load and uh, so I said yep no I'm, I'm coming but I finished the five hectares <laughs> I know and um and got home and 
you know, everything was all prepared, ready to go, jump in the truck, um, went to go to Christchurch where we were due to go meet the midwife and we got to Springston, which is a good 30 minutes short of Christchurch and she was pushing. And so I'm on the phone to the midwife, freaking out a bit. And she said, you don't have time to come to Christchurch. You've got to go to Lincoln, go to this address. It was like their maternity unit. wasn't really for birthing children. It was more for post-birth. Um, uh, but I uh, went in there, and five minutes, here's my son in my arms. And I was covered in organophosphate insecticide. Ooh. And we're doing the skin-to-skin thing, and, and it was just one of those moments. I still... Did you, at the time, were you thinking about that? No. No. No, I, I was told by my father that stuff only kills insects. Don't worry about it. Mm. That's wow. retrospective. You look at that, you know, we talked in the car about having to live with what we've done. Like, I've got to live with that. My first thing my son had exposure to was an OP, laws ban. Wow. Mm. So... So no, so there was no, understandably, no acknowledgement or recognition of that because that's not where your head was at at the time. Um, life continued. Your was it your son? Yes, your son. Yep. That was the second, Bo. second, yeah, second child. Oh, Charles. Charles, lovely. Um, is it B E A U? Yeah. <clears throat> um, what happened then? Well, for two years or a year and a bit, we, you know, worked hard on the marriage and I was still contracting and not present and... Busy you know, as. Oh, just like you wouldn't believe. Or were you, were you, in hindsight, were you busy for a reason? Apart from earning money and there were jobs to be done, were you just, was, was this a distraction? Was it a, you know, I don't know, was it, was it some under, underlying thing or you just yeah. like, I'm flat out, on a bloody spray contract, I've got shit to do? Well, there was a, there was, that was the obvious part, was I'm a spraying contractor and I've got shit to do. What wasn't so obvious was my um, subconscious dealing with the breakdown at home was just to be at work more, you know, and, and, and then I was justified because it was like I'm providing for my family. This mm. is all subconscious. And, um, I, you know, every time my then wife would say, look, you know, I need your help at home, I'd say, well, I'm, I'm out earning the money, you know. I'm doing my bit. I've got to do this. But it was all a distraction that conveniently allowed me to avoid taking responsibility for the breakdown of the marriage. And I never had the courage to say anything about it because I was too scared to lose, you know, like, <laughs> to, put, to put it honestly, I was too scared to be like my father who wasn't there. But it's interesting, you weren't there. I wasn't there, that's right. That's the irony, yeah? I definitely wasn't there. Yeah, 100%. So things didn't improve? No, I I put my uh, resignation in after two years after Bo was born, so I was in the fifth season at Ellesmere Chemicals and um, needed. I, I made the conscious choice to... I wanted to spend more time at home, and I was all jacked up to go and start a job as a fertilizer truck dispatch operator. So I was going to be sending trucks around the district, putting fertilizer on. Um, and six days before I was about to start that job, I was just training someone up to drive the big sprayer, and we were heading to 
uh, our only organic client at that time, Tim Chamberlain's, to spray some organic fennel with a, an organic, um, like a insecticide. Having washed the tank out so very well. So to wash the tank out, mm. decontaminate, I used to hate it. And mm. um, I'm there and I was training up this fella and he was, he was pretty good at this stage, like he was pretty much on his own. I was able to bring my own vehicle and just sort of sit back and hang back and keep an eye on him. And the owner of that organic farm approached me and says, hey, Jono, um, can you talk? I've heard you're leaving. And I was like, yep, yep, no, sure. And he said, look, this might be a bit weird. He said, but I'm going to, he says, I want to know if you'd be interested in managing my farm. I was like, what, this farm? Because he had another big farm, um, Mount Cass Station, the big Wiltshire organic operation. And he said, no, this farm, the home farm. And I thought to myself, what? You know, I met this guy as being the local spraying contractor, and he said to me, like he'd never had a manager of that farm. It's a fifth-generation family farm, and he was going to... You were the first non-family member. Yeah. Wow. And I knew nothing about organics, and I said to him that, I know nothing about (laughs) organics, but it was at that moment that all of those things that I say were subconscious, like how I was dealing with the marriage, how I was dealing with my resignation around the chemical use and the ever-increasing amounts of them were having to apply. Um, You know, I didn't admit it at the time, but I used to always have a concern for what are we doing to the water. I used to clean my sprayer out in waterways and we knew the waterways that didn't have a lot of car traffic and would go and clean out our sprayers in those waterways. And um, all these things just hit me. And uh, I, he said, you don't have to answer now. Go home. I'll get a contract to you. Because um, I was sort of shocked, you know. I was about to go start this other job. And the pay was, like, significantly less, like $40,000 less salary and I didn't have a work vehicle, and I didn't, you know, I'd have to find another house, and all these things weren't stacking up for it to be a yes, but something in me was like, I've got to take this. And my then wife was not happy about it, you know, the less money thing. And so we tried to make it work with the marriage while I took on this new job, and yep, I was home more, um, but actually that drove home even more so the fact that it just wasn't working. It wasn't a bad relationship. It just wasn't. It just wasn't working. There wasn't that spark like what, you know, we all think is like some kind of far fetched dream that I now know is possible to have in a relationship. Um, and so you know, huge ups to to Taylor, my ex wife, for actually making that call. I'll never forget it. I come home from work one day, and for breakfast, and and she was crying, and I was like, well, you know, we will never a bad relationship but just like I said and so I still obviously cared about her a lot and and she said I want you to take the kids go for a walk for an hour um, because we're leaving and I was just like walk you take the kids for a walk yeah. and say goodbye kind of thing yeah well I pack up and yeah alright yeah. we're gonna go okay right and so I was just like wow and you know I didn't know what to do and it was just a you know it was difficult. Daughter just started school. She was five, and um, but looking back, you know, it was just the it was the best thing to do. And and you know, thank goodness she did it because I didn't have the courage. And um, and that was really the kick in the ass that sort of took me from like 
okay, there's this new way of farming. I'm getting my head around it with the organics thing and and had just started Quorum Sense, the discussion group, and was rapidly learning all this stuff. That that moment and then having to go, you know, start my life again on my own was like the catalyst. It was like, you know, this is it. And and it was it was and something about it was like I want to show my kids that regardless of having no education, no qualifications, no money, you can do something that makes a difference. And um, it's funny because for the first year I had to still labour on farms. I was just helping out on farms when I I decided I wanted to go and and coach and support farmers. I just worked on farms, labouring, driving tractors, whatever I could get my hands on while I grew this sort of, Credibility in the space of supporting farmers um, as a, as a coach or a consultant. I like the word coach. Mm. Um, I don't like telling farmers what to do. And um, it was like, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna show the kids that I can do that. All my family were like, it was a bit like the old man when I said to him. This, I say the old man's my stepdad, spraying contractor. When I first said to him that uh, I'm gonna go manage this organic farm, he's like, oh. Next minute you'll be wearing flax journals and smoking cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> Little did he know I was smoking an ounce of the stuff a fortnight at that time just to try and sleep at night because I was so in my head. I couldn't I couldn't stop. That was my biggest <clears throat> thing is I couldn't stop. And um Could yeah. you mean you couldn't stop? You were so G'd up with this whole thing. You, oh, you, just you, you were you were just trying to get you, somewhere you, that wasn't where I was. I don't oh, know. Yeah, like just yeah. just this unhealthy drive. Yeah, but um, the point of that was uh, when I went to go and and then become a consultant. You know, my whole family knew that I'm not like a business person. I, you know, I've been bankrupt and I'm not educated. And they're like, when I said I want to go and start a business supporting farmers, first thing the old man said to me was, "Oh, you, you've got responsibilities. You know, what you think you're just going to go and do that." You've got kids to feed. Mm. And so he sort of thought that it was irresponsible of me to do that, to go out with no guaranteed income. Risky. Risky, and for sure it was. But um, I did it anyway, and, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? You look back on things that very could have easily stopped you in your tracks, but just a conscious choice, you know. I get your concern, and, you know, I love him for it. He's just looking out for me and just, didn't take his advice. Well, you clearly had resolve just to get on and do it. Yeah, I was just like, you know, this was going to be, this was, I was very clear that this was my life now. And that was f- how many years ago? Five, four? Nearly six. Six, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 2018. So what point was, did you yeah. start the coaching that you finished? You were still coaching when you were doing, managing the organic farm? No, no. No, you said there was a, there was a, there was a finish up of the farm. Yep, after three years there, yeah. I um. And Maybe you were single cool. then? Like, single, you, you yeah. Were, yeah, on your, yep, yep, yep. Very yep. much so. Afraid of woman. <clears throat> and thinking I was going to live the rest of my days alone and... A bachelor. All that stuff. Yeah. Did you learn to cook a bit, like, better? Um, I know we mentioned it before, you, you, you would have learned pretty quick. Oh, or do you know, just down the pub or the... Or the bit of that. There's a bit of that. I, I, but I know, like, now, I'm a, like, I've got no, no problems admitting, like, I'm a good cook and Ruby and I very much share the... The cooking, there's no sort of, you know. Hierarchy of. Nah. She works harder than 
if I look back over the last few years, it's funny because um, I was the one out working all the time and not being home, and and then I'd have my ex-wife saying to me, "Oh, you're never home," and and then I got into this relationship where I was actually home a lot, working in the office, and Ruby's out there working all day and night. It was like a role <laughs> reversal, and I got to experience maybe a bit of what minus the screaming young children. Um, maybe what it was like for my ex-wife just being home and wondering what's going on out there. And when's he coming home? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> now it's when she. When is she coming? Yeah, home? yeah, yeah. Is your your um, uh, cooking and your sharing of responsibility and so on? Is that is that because of a newfound appreciation of food? You know, is that part of the the organic farming? You know, taking all that on the curiosity the the you're a sponge you're absorbing a whole lot of stuff. The food, the food thing was in there too somewhere, I guess. I just discovered I like cooking. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, and I discovered I like doing dishes, which you know. That's a lady. very good uh, skill to have as a as a. I started as a, to enjoy a, doing my washing. Yeah, and being on top of all that stuff. Like I ended up just realizing. Did that you make your bed in the morning? Hundred percent. That started. Yeah. yeah, like that was the start of. A lot of us was you've just seen, you've seen that video being responsible, captain you know, or whatever he is, the admiral. Make your bed, yeah, make yeah, your bed. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a Jordan Peterson thing too. Yeah, isn't no, it? Jordan's been a big part of my learning <laughs> journey. Yeah, yeah, good. Um, but no, I started to do a lot of self development, and um, I went and did the landmark forum and oh, all really? these different things. Um, do you do that here? They, do they run that over? Yep, yep, did that here. Did How that long ago was in that? Christchurch in twenty, like just after. It was funny because I'd heard people like Nicole Masters talk about it and and uh, and my old boss, Tim, used to talk about the Landmark Forum and I'd be like, oh, shit, what is this shit? Tim the Organic Farmer. Yeah, the Organic yeah, Farmer. Yeah, right. And um, I was not interested in that. You know, I knew everything. And uh, when I saw Nicole for the first time in a workshop setting, at the end of the workshop, she's like, give him the Landmark Forum, go and do it. And I was like, that's that. Bloody course did that she, Tim did, was talking about. Did she say that to you personally or to the to the crew? She said to, it the, to the whole crew. All oh, right, so you didn't go like, now, John, you really need to go. No, no, <laughs> no. She's like, she's like, you're a bit you, fucked up. You she need said, to go. you guys learn a lot this weekend. <clears throat> yeah. It was a two day course. She said the biggest difference between learning stuff and applying it is yourself. Yeah. And I'll never forget it. She said the words, "Get yourself out of the way and go and do the landmark forum." And I went and did it. It was a three day course. It, Blew my mind. Realized how much of a victim I'd been being. Had to do a lot of cleaning up with family and friends. You about made you made the Sunday phone calls. Oh yeah, I yeah. definitely made the phone yeah. calls. I was I was I was all for it. Funny how that all transformed. Next minute, you know, I'm having conversations with my mum and dad that I'd never had before, and it was funny. There was a lot of yeah, I know, son. Like you know, I'd be like, like oh, I've finally. been avoiding you for eight years. Um, and, you know, judging you for not being there when I was a kid based on things that had nothing to do with me or you, um, purely from other people like my grandparents and mother. And uh, and I remember my father saying to me, I know, I know you have been. And, and I also knew you'd come back. I was just like, holy cow. <laughs> what a lovely thing that you had the courage to do it. And And he, in this case, and maybe others were kind of, Ready, ready for that call. Not mm. that they were sitting by the phone, but they were, they were, they were ready for for, mm. for something. And I was ready, like it, you know. And especially with my ex-wife, like we really had a lot to clean up. And 
all of a sudden that was probably, you know, it created the space. I'd got complete with who I'd been in the past. I was bitter, I was resentful, I was judgmental, I was arrogant. I was, you know, I was the macho, tough guy that, that you know, if you and I weren't going to get on, I was going to deal with it in an unpleasant manner, which would always leave me feeling guilty. And um, that's where the working came in, because it just numbed me from all of that stuff. You know, had me be too busy to get in relationships with people that I would then have to, or, you know, not have to, but I would end up self-sabotaging because of beliefs about not being worthy of connection and being worthy of love and da-da-da-da-da. And I just got to deal with all of that. And all of a sudden I'm this, <laughs> I don't know what you're describing now, but I'm definitely not that guy anymore. Well, you've done a lot of work, yeah? Yeah, I've done a lot of work, yeah, yeah. Do you do the Landmark Advanced? Yep, no, I did. I, I did the whole curriculum for living. Yeah. It was um it was incredible. Obviously you've heard of it. I never thought of asking you about it, but Yeah, oh, that's where I met my wife. No way. Yeah. Crazy. About twenty uh, oh shit. Um twenty oh hang on, working backwards. <laughs> I'm going to get this wrong. I got a similar four, response when I asked you how long you've been married for. Don't know much. <laughs> <laughs> I knew straight away. I was, within, was within, within milliseconds. Yeah. No, it would be, be 2004 because then, yep, 2004 was like November and I, a couple of people had said to me, you need to go and do this course. And it was, all, you know, the RCS crew, you know, Terry McCosker yeah, yeah, and all yeah, those yeah. guys. So that, they're heavy on that. And it kept on coming up in conversations with other farmers and the group I was sort of, you know, associating with. And then, um, and then some, someone else said, um, yeah, and to two other, it was three, three people yeah, within a month all said it. And one of them was a sister of a good mate of mine. And, and then she said, I'm going to do it. And I said, well, I'm, everyone's telling me you should do it. I might as well go and do it. So we, we did that together. Anyway, I walked into the, I wanted to give all the details, but <clears throat> Angelica was there. I walked in, I saw the back of her head, fell in love straight away, said, if that's the back of her head, my God, the front must be good. And, <laughs> and it was the back of the head strictly, wasn't it? No, <laughs> she was sitting down, so I couldn't, I couldn't see anything else. I had blue jeans and an orange singlet, uh, T-shirt. Anyway, um, interest ensued at that point, but, but all very platonic. It was really interesting, and as you, you know, I'm sure, can appreciate, an interesting place to meet someone and then totally exposed, stripped to bare, rebuilt the whole thing. Well, not really rebuilt, but just kind of. Let's get back Stood to basics. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, you're not like meeting in a nightclub and then two months later they find out you're a dickhead. Like, she found out I was a dickhead straight away. Yeah. Anyway, so, and then six months. We did the advance and then and then we, we sort of got together six months after that. But, um, oh, yeah, powerful stuff. It really is. Really? Yeah, I, I couldn't leave that out. It was a big part of it. Let me discover who I never knew I was. Um. And you, you are you, and you've done other things. You mentioned, you know, um, mm. Jordan Peterson, and and um, what other, um, what other courses or workshops mm. or books of discovery? Mm. Well, did you attend to help discover who you were? Yeah, I really enjoyed um, Joe Dispenza, and appreciated people like Zach Bush. Um, and when we when we had the accident, my second hundred k head on just in twenty twenty, you know when I 
Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so we were driving to Twizel and uh, we? me and my daughter Harper and son Bo, and um, we were heading to Twizel to go boating with a mate of mine. It was 9am, beautiful day, and uh, come around this big sweeping bend outside the uh, airport at Tikapo there with his um, Tikapo air safaris, and just watched this car just come hauling around this big sweeping bend and um, just missed the corner and come straight into our path and just went, just, yeah, there's no, there was no braking, no slowing down. We were doing 100. He was um, clocked four times earlier that morning doing an excess of 150 and just, boof, head on. And um, it was crazy. We, so he died on impact and... Me, my son, and daughter were uh, awake the whole time, and so I it was very clear and vivid. My first sort of um, experience of like some kind of out of body thing, where I was looking down on the crash scene before this feeling of being like back down to the body. Woman's voice who was behind us in a car. Oh my god, are you okay? I hear it vividly. And I sort of come to back in my body and uh, look back, see my son very pale, but his eyes are open and my daughter was crying. So, uh, and I could see my daughter's arm had snapped like it was like a Z in her humorous, uh, that bone there is humorous? Yeah, humorous. And humorous doesn't sound right. It sounds like something funny. Not funny at all. It's not funny. Um, her, her arm. Oh yeah. Um, the, to- the, fo- uh, the, uh, the uh, yeah. Between not, the not shoulder forearm. and the yeah, elbow, elbow. That, yeah. that one there had snapped. We'll get a doctor onto that. Yeah, we will. We'll check up on that. Yeah. And um, and but she was quite responsive. But then my son was very pale. Uh, his neck, we didn't know, had broken, and all the ligaments had been torn from the base of his skull. And so we got him out, and um. Like, as soon as I got out of the vehicle and put weight on the ground, I knew that there was something in my back. But honestly, I thought it was muscular. I thought I'd just done some sort of muscular damage. And, of course, no pain. I, I couldn't feel pain at this point. So I was, I was up, got the kids out of the car. You know, there's oil and diesel running off down the road. I knew, like, just for the sake of fire, just that we had to get them out. So I got them out, went and sat on the side of the road, and. um just sort of maintain the sense of clarity. Like, this would work like, you know, Landmark Forum and, and just dealing with what's so rather than the story and the drama. We just kept it to, right, here we are. Organised the, the rescue party where two choppers turn up. Um, my daughter went in one and me and my son went on the other. And uh, we got to the hospital and the whole time I'm talking to my son, he's on my chest and we're, we're talking, I'm saying, well, you know, we're up in this chopper and just kept on checking on him. And uh, and then got to the hospital and Bo went and they had to put him into an, an induced coma, s- swelling and bleeding on the brain. And um, he was only four at the time and he was airlifted from Christchurch up to Starship. So we were separated and me and Harper had to stay back in Christchurch. So the kid's mum went with Bo up to Auckland and we had to stay behind in Christchurch and um, at that point I was told I needed to have surgery. I'd broken my back in four places. One of the 
breaks were like a complete shatter of a vertebrae and there was bits of it in my spinal cord and the spinal cord was like coming down and then with around this broken vertebrae. And um I got And you'd a, been you'd jumped out of the car and carrying the kids and I was remember lying on the road on a the edge of the road and it was like my back was like that and I remember rolling left and right to check on the kids mm. and um thinking about it and seeing the x rays like yeah. you think, how am I still walking and not have any nerve damage? But anyway, they put steel rods in my back and um that's where I say, like, there's definitely a place for modern medicine. Like, in those cases, man, I wouldn't be here without that. Mm. But, um, yeah, broke my shoulder, broke nine ribs, broke my foot in two places and my back in four. And so that that's um, – had that operation. That's when I just discovered, uh, discovered Joe Dispenza. And, um, you know, he'd done a similar thing, except he didn't get the operation and he healed his back from his – home with his mind and I was like this can't be true and then when you're put in a situation where you're fully helpless like you know you're really trusting the, the um you know the the skills of the people around you uh sure I could have said no I don't want that surgery but I saw the x-ray I was like no I'll, I'll take that surgery yeah but um after the surgery it became a, a really pro- strong priority of mine to manage my environment I didn't take painkillers I didn't take any painkillers so that was after the experience I had being knocked out and then coming out of the surgery and they gave me ketamine and I left the planet and when I came back and I was like trying to vocalise but couldn't, it was quite horrific. Like if I hadn't done, you know, mind-expanding recreational drugs as a young fella, um, I wouldn't have been okay with what happened to me because I, I didn't know that I was actually on a drug. I just thought this was actually pretty out of it but anyway I came back said don't give me that ever again whatever that was I said it's ketamine and anyway from then I said look I'm not I'm not taking um these these you know painkillers and nurses would come in and say because they come in regularly you need to have this you need to have this they have the things ready I remember seeing on a little cup of pills it still had um Bayer written on it and I spent my life spraying (laughs) Bayer chemicals never thought of Bayer as a pharmaceutical provider but here they are I can't escape them and they thought I was mad. Like they, they said, like this is no place for like being proud. You know, mm, tough being guy. a tough guy. I'm like, no, this is literally nothing to do with that. I can assure you, this is me being able to tune into my body and to be able to understand what I should and shouldn't be doing based on what my body's telling me. And after three days, I was walking. Wow. And uh, climbing stairs and started to get my strength back. And uh, yeah, it was tough um, being down there. Because Bo went into a coma, and when it they had to fit a halo to him, which is four mm. bolts on the head at the front, four bolts on the head at the back, and it's a frame, steel frame that holds your head rigid. And when he came out, his eyes were fully inverted. Something had happened with the anesthesia, and his eyes come out fully inverted, and he was battling infections. And it was it was on like it was it was serious. Know, Oh, yeah. yeah. It was like, you know, he was unresponsive. Um, and having, like, understood the power and impact of fear on the body's, um, you know, function, quite literally, uh, what what there was for me to do was to be responsible for not only my environment, but that of my children's, especially my son's. 
So we had family members that were going in and I could hear them in the background, you know, oh my God, you know, and like not taking away from that. That's a valid emotion. But I had to say, look, don't do that around him. Don't bring it in here. Take that and do that somewhere else. And that was tough. And not everyone could see why. Probably a lot of people thought I was just being a prick. Um, But you know what, I like between me and his mum and his mum's husband, their stepfather, Ruben, I we manage that environment and those kids, mate, you want to see them now, you would not and like me, like you would not think that we had that happen just two years ago. And um so yeah, that was that was like holy cow, you know, we have and our landscapes have the ability to heal, but we're not taught that and we don't even know the extent of that power. We're just tapping into it. And um, so I guess that sort of leaves me in a place of wonder and curiosity around, well, what is possible? If we can do that with our minds and, you know, not the, I got the operation for the spine thing and, and I was actually the, in New Zealand, no one's ever had that in for such a short time. It's because I said I wanted it out. Which, what was it, what was in the, the, the rods? rods? Yeah. Yeah, right. so I had them in for not quite 10 months, yeah. and no one's ever had them out that early, and I, my surgeon, he was there alongside me the whole way. All the nurses thought it was, I was mad, but he actually was like, no, if you, like, trust what you're feeling, and he backed me up. It was That's so great. cool. And then when I said I wanted that those rods out, so I started to think about, like, what happens if I have another accident, I've got these rods in me. Start to think about, you know, like um, I spent a week in hospital without putting my feet on the ground and I reckon it, it impacted me in a, such a negative way. When I could walk, I snuck outside, walked across a four-lane road thinking, mate, if I go down here, I don't know if I'm going to get back up again, just to get over that street and put my feet on Hagley Park on the ground. And I felt this, and that's when I started to understand, like there's more to the energy around us and what we think and that grounding is really important and that I didn't want to have metal in my body. I just didn't want to have metal in my body. And so I asked him to take it out and they had me sign a waiver, but he fully trusted me and um, got that out. And, mate, that was pretty full on waking up the next morning like, okay, I don't know if I can stand, but I'm going to stand. And I stood and the surgeon was like nearly in tears. He was so wrapped, and he said he's never seen anything like it. And in that 10 months, <clears throat> what had you been doing for you to, to, to heal? Like you, you were doing Joe Dispenser type stuff? Like what was, mm. what was your sort of health regime in that time? Definitely managing the mindset, definitely like visualising like Joe talks about, visualising the healing, almost looking at my future healed. Um, but also I started doing yoga and um, gentle movement and uh, I did Qigong and, you know, the stuff that I would have thought was just hippie, <laughs> bloody weirdo stuff I was finding was really helpful. And um, it's funny because I had a, you know, a case manager and for, for ACC here in New Zealand, which is like accident compensation, they it's I don't know what you guys have over there, but it's it's who looks after accidents and healing, and they have a return to work program. I was involved with physio and going in and doing all these exercises, and 
we got to this point where it was a very clear understanding that this woman who was doing my recovery plan knew that I had it all under control and was so blown away with the results that I was seeing through my own healing journey that she left me to it. And, um, and when I said, I'm ready to go back to work, there was no doubt about that, and I was able to do so. There's still a few things to this day, like I smashed a lot of back teeth in the in the process, so that was like um in the in the crash, yeah, in the crash. Um, oh. you can't describe an impact like that. It's the craziest. You're going 100. He's going 150. Yeah, that's that's a big thing. And it was stopped. It was no. I yeah, didn't no, push no, 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 veered off this or sort of deflection or anything. It no, was, it or was bounce. A, it was just. It was crazy, yeah. And I'm I was two point eight ton, and I don't know what a Hyundai Santa Fe weighs, but that's what he was driving. And there was that's a fairly small car compared to yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can see like just the basics of inertia and uh, energy is you know he would have and and construction. Just, oh yeah, you know, like safety wise. Yeah, definitely. But it was funny because the old Safari, or the old Patrol, had a one safety rating and his car had a five safety rating so it makes you wonder what the safety rating is all about yeah, what, I always what's that based on I think mass goes a long way as well she <laughs> is but that um, was another powerful thing was like the not having resentment like I don't know what that guy was dealing with I don't know what resentment if you want to be unwell judge people and be resentful because it will make you unwell. And so um, I actually ended up being in communication with this guy's family. And, like, not only, like, they were ringing me up saying they were so sorry, and I'm like, you guys have lost a loved one. Like, there's nothing you need to be sorry about. I said, I'm clear that that guy didn't wake up one morning saying, I'm going to go out and hit John O'Frew. I didn't even know the guy. And I made sure they all were complete with any feelings of guilt around it because I said, it's not... For you to feel guilt, I said, "I'm, I'm blown away that I'm still alive. There's no need for your guilt. There's no need for any. I don't do sympathy. Like, there's no place for it here. We're alive. We're grateful for that. And yeah, yeah, and your kids too. And my kids, like, they were alive. We had Harper's eighth, seventh birthday in hospital. Was, I'll never forget it. And um, his family rallied together, passed the hat around." and gave us $20,000 for the healing journey. Wow. And they're on their own grief journey. Oh, 100%. Have you been in touch with them since? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they they were, and, and the people that were at the crash scene as well. Like, this is almost this little team of people that we touch base with regularly. Just, yeah, like a, I don't know, like a, Support network. Kind of, yeah. 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 That's incredible. How um uh how are you now? Oh um it's yeah. I mean my back like I can feel it for sure. And you you get a twinge? Oh shit, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's like a holy shit. That's that's quite a, a gouge. That's a good gouge, yeah. But no, I honestly it's like glacial. That's that, that, that big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, no, look, honestly, man, like I'm, I'm so grateful. I ended up putting on more weight than I've ever had, and I'm really excited about getting back on the ground out there shifting cows all day um, because I, I feel like that's been the missing element is actually giving it a good test run my body. Mm. You know, like I've still done the motorbike thing and, and um, only recently sold my dirt bike, and like I, you know, I've done things I probably shouldn't have with my injuries, but like I'm not a victim to what's happened. I, I yeah, I, I can still, to give you an example, I was going to the gym, um, I thought I'd try this gym thing out. Mainly because I was resigned. This to thing called a gym. This thing called gym. God, I, was, <laughs> I so resisted it, and I still resisted it because they bloody signed me into a twelve-month contract, and I, gotcha. I got sick of it after three months, and it wasn't working. Traveling all this time to a place to do these exercises that I felt was so uh, not a representation of actually reality. Like I did, mm. it was a new concept for me, just lifting weights. Mm. Repetition. But, it, but yeah. I was lifting, I was deadlifting 100 kgs and I was deadlifting 130 kgs and then one day deadlifted 140 and just about needed to be wheelchaired out. Ooh, I did something just where, it. yeah, it was 140 and it was second rep. So I did 100 as a warm-up and then did 140 and got halfway up and, oh, I thought, that's I'm going to need an ambulance. <laughs> oh, I need some more rods. <laughs> that was uh, that was pretty scary, but um, uh, just again more more um, gentle movement and um, breathing is such a big part of it. Like breath, you know. Um, do you do breath work? Like is, is breathing a thing that's part of your day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah I'm, I'm a Wim Hoffer from way back, mm-hmm. and I love the cold go? water up up at Howie at the Station lake. there because I'm, I'm mad over cold water. It was crazy. I just started doing. I did do a bit of a Wim Hof training a couple of years ago, and then just didn't have a the, the bar. You know, the did, well, I did access to coal and getting a big tub and ice and that sort of stuff. It was all too hard. And then you'd lose your mojo. And then then we, we did a, a meditation retreat a couple of weeks ago at Braidwood. Pretty fucking cold at Braidwood um, two weeks ago. Anyway, they've got a, a lake there and ducked in there every morning. It was, it was almost part of it. The program six no seven o'clock it was mm-hmm. was like this is awesome. Was it ice or not quite? Not quite. It was frosty, but it was I don't know what how, how cold it was. You know, it was it was you know the that he missed off the dam and it was yeah spanner water mm. it tightens your nuts. That's how that's how <laughs> t- you go the kind of shade of beetroot afterwards. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know if you do that, but my body does that just. Yeah, it's just that response. Oh, I think it's fantastic. So I've been dipping in the pool at home, which is I don't know. It wouldn't be as cold as that lake, or certainly down here. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I think it's it's it's. And the more you read, the more I see and 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 do it. It's like there's so many. It's irrefutable scientifically now. You know the the the, the just the stuff the studies are done on Mister Hoff and um and others. It's just like it's it seems to be the one of those um. The next big thing to do, you know, mm. in, in the toolbox of, for everyone. Of health. This is, yeah. And I like the fact, and <clears throat> Nico Plowman, who ran this thing, he's got this phrase: he says, "Surrender the preference." Like the preference might be stay in bed and keep warm, and have your cup of tea, and then have your shower, and then you know you, you you're ready for the day. Yeah, surrender the preference. Go on and fucking have a dunk, a dunk in the freezing water. <sighs> Just do it. And then you never, I mean, have you ever regretted going for a dunk no, in the freezer? No. Not once. It's like, you know, oh, I don't want to go for a run. Bloody thing, it's cold or whatever. 
I've never come back from that run and gone, gee, I wish I didn't do that. You should almost just wonder, like, anything that you resist, you should just go straight for it. It's like, yeah, if I'm resisting, I need to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. I reckon. Yeah, yeah. This world of comfort that we all got used to and convenience, it's it's not helping anyone, trust me. I saw the title on a book the other day. It was called The Comfort Crisis. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it. And we're all, like, I mean, I have been in that space for some time, especially around not being physically active. Like I've been, you know, consultancy and more time at a computer than I, you know, ever thought I would. Um, and so now is like, like I'm a hundred kilos, almost a hundred kilos. Crikey, dick, it's hard to admit that. But um, you know, I could sit here and say, oh, you know, my all the excuses, injuries. Oh, it's my job. Blah blah blah. It's like no. Um, this is I'm pulling this shit towards me now. This is um. Now, this is time to demonstrate. Well, because, you know, you're only here once. Like, I don't want to get to the point where I'm, like, you know, brittle and 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 can't physically do, you know, what I can do now and say, oh, you know, I could have done better or I could have done more. Like, I've also, you know, I'm, I've kind of done this transition from being hard and um, now being softer. But I'm also, like, you know, I've read... Joe got uh, David Goggins, you know, like I'm also clear that actually, you know, a bit of hard yak is definitely nothing to be shy of. Well, it's those challenges we, you know, surrendering the preference, take on the challenge, strengthen the muscles, whether they be mental or physical or spiritual or whatever, and you're always going to be better for it. Oh, yeah. Have you read The Surrender Experiment? No. Great book. Put in your show notes. Um, the uh, it came up on a Joe Rogan little video the other day, and also because um, it's not an uncommon kind of a phrase or or kind of a, a thing is. I read, it must have been yesterday. It said, you know, something about in twenty years' time, you're going to wish you were here right now with those problems you've got, with the physical capacity you have with the age you are and the problems you've got, you know. So, yeah, you, you, in 20 years' time, you're going to you're gonna, – and it's a bit like that thing, you know, your problems are someone else's dream, oh. you know. Sometimes I need to remind myself of that. <laughs> the Surrender Experiment, yeah? Yeah, it's a good book, yeah. It was part of – yeah. So what in, – in, so since the accident to this point, yep. um, what's, what, what have you been up to? Yeah, so just going around. Apart from lifting heavy weights, you should doing dumb, dumb shit like that. Uh, just empowering farmers. That's that's what I get out of bed for. It's um, it's it's giving uh, farmers the ability to be responsible for their lives and their operations, which most people aren't taught at university. Like you get told there's a prescription, you get a degree to say that you're competent with that prescription, you go and do it, and um, people don't know there's another way. So I literally just decided for the last five years and particularly after the accident was like I'm not mucking around here anymore like it's like a a, you know right at the beginning concerns of like I'm not good enough for this who am I to think I know what farmers could be doing you know all this you know judgy self-talk yeah 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 yeah. and then just it's like nah you know and 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 you also start to discover like uh, that one thing that the crash did was it actually got me present to the work that I had done like I had 
you know, people messaging me, you know, thank you so much for everything that you've done for us. And I had people sending books and juices and thank you cards. And it was just like real humbling, you know, and it really, it really cemented actually what I have been doing has made a difference. And now's the time to out the ante. So I, I took on a staff member who I even fringe saying the word staff member. Um, team member. Team member, Graham Anderson. She's been with me for just over a year now. Um, took on uh, Jake Kieran, who was a, a, started off as a client and then decided he's like, man, I love this so much. I want to do what you're doing. And so we started doing that. And um, so I've got this incredible team of three uh, with Natural Performance just going around the country. We've got Jake and I, who are like the practical, we're, we're you know, very much the Dewey. And then Greer's like the academic. She's been and done her, you know, honours year and um and in regenerative agriculture and in biology and, and ecology. So she's the she's got the right letters in front of the name and and uh can bring that, that academic um aspect and uh and me and Jake bring this real practical element from our experience on farms and it it really works and so we'll just we'll just keep doing this this coaching consultancy thing um you know that that's it's really just just getting started I've been doing it for five six years and um and now you know I've got baby number three on the way in September Ruby and I get married in December um, awesome she's a huge fan by the way she, she she's one of your one of your oh really your oh fantastic oh really yeah yeah definitely oh wow you're a that's huge cool. part of her her learning journey really well, you know that's it's awesome. like people often say oh she'll learn a lot of you it's like I, I think it matters where it comes from and I think in the world of like a relationship you'd rather hear it from someone else than your than your partner you know what I mean so and that's and that's often that's the case in any topic that someone's trying to learn in a lot of scenarios whether it's even within a team or marriage or whatever it's like you, you kind of need that verified third hand at arm's length kind of stuff you know because mm. it's it's just the way and there's also you know other reasons you know, <laughs> yeah, pride not having anything to do with that at all. This is not ego, but no, it's it's yeah. So so, um, this is the big challenge now is is this place here, raising a family in a way that aligns with our values, finding our groove together as a couple, as farmers, you know, and and as soon to be parents, for her and um and this, working on now that we're closer to. The the kids Harper and Bo um doing this this fifty fifty split parenting thing whilst you know doing the consultancy thing the farming thing and um just gonna stretch myself and just see what I can what I can do. Well, you've been on your you sit on your ass for the last three That's years, right. buddy. So buddy yeah, you've got to catch up. <laughs> but we were saying earlier, but um <clears throat> that um when we have a bit of a, a drive around that. I didn't use the word, but it's. It, I don't think I did. It was like this is the gift you've now been given, hasn't it? You know, oh, it's been a, and it pulls together um, kids, family. You know, like your children, Ruby and her, her, um, her life and her, her and, and your your you know your um, your baby to to be to be born, in, um, expecting, and your love of farming and with a pretty decent um, uh, farm partner, you know, business partner. In a place that's not unfamiliar, you know, you're saying you know these hills pretty well, and you know the spots to 
stop and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So it's like a um, – it's a real gift, isn't it? Oh. I, I see my whole life as a gift. I just took it for granted for 28 years. And some people spend their lives taking it for granted. I'm just glad I was confronted with what I was when I was because it it just presents me to it. I didn't know what a gift my life is. And I didn't know the opportunity that it is. I didn't know that I could do what I've done, let alone what could be done. So 100% it's a gift. And it's like, um, you know, we talked before about parenting and children and, you know, mixing families up. It's definitely not easy. And, you you know, maybe you said there's no recipe or 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 instruction manual for that. No, there isn't. And um, I'm reminded of a saying that Tim Chamberlain, who you know, really got to thank a lot for that man, used to say to me, and I used to not understand it, I just thought it was just this thing Tim said. He used to say, we'd always have these moments of silence. I used to be real uncomfortable with these silence. I used to try and fill it with something. And he'd often just sit and pause and say, you know, we're all just trying to fucking work it out. And I'm just like, now I listen to that, I'm like, we just so are. We're just so just just trying to work it out. I kind of like it. And and do our best. I heard something this morning, and it was was saying that it says, you know, if all we can do every morning is wake up and say, today I'm going to do my best. And don't beat yourself up if if it's not what you would call your best day, mm. or you you drop the ball or whatever. It's like if you can say that every morning, your day will be different. Oh, hundred percent. It's like um, oh, it's not on my. It's here. Like little things, you know. Wake Have you got like a list of maximum maxims or mantras? Um, yeah, like, so yeah. I just like like here on my on my home screen, present, powerful, and in communication. Yeah. So like I know every day if I'm present. And I'm being powerful and I'm in communication. There's a big thing that we, you know, withhold communication and we don't communicate concerns and all that stuff. Like, it just builds up like muck that you drag around with you. So it's like I find it much easier just to communicate everything all the time as it happens. Um, and it just frees me up. It lets me, it lets me, well, and it opens up opportunities that wouldn't otherwise be there. But I wouldn't be here without being in communication. So that's just a, a huge thing for me is. You know, I've got the gift of being able to express myself through many different forms, and music's a new one for me that I'm really excited about. I saw a couple of guitars upstairs, yeah, or few, wherever they were. A few guitars, it? yeah, might be a, a healthy obsession. But um, yeah, just expression, man. Like if you can just show up as your as yourself every day, fully with authenticity and integrity, mate. <laughs> not only will doors open, friggin' doors will appear where there's no doors. You know what I mean? Like unexpected things. Like you and I sitting here right now. It's awesome. Look at this. I told you the sun would come out. Yeah, I know. It's awesome. We can, we can see the sea nearly now. see the sea there now. It's fantastic. Some cattle roaming. Are they yours? No, they're not yours, are they? Yep, they are, they are yep. yours. Yeah, down there. Proper sunflowers and kale and it's fantastic. all sorts of things out there. Um, just conscious of the time, mate, because my chip's telling me I've got six minutes, five minutes left. I do want to finish on, because I've got a bit of an agenda, which I'll – I'll talk to you about offline, but what what do you think your strength is? Mm. In 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 the in a in a professional uh, sense, you know. Oh yeah. Um, what area of like, stuff? What, 
like is soil your favourite thing? Is people your favourite thing? Is people gra- grass or pasture or like the whole whatever. lot fascinates me? But it all comes back down to who we are and the way we carry ourselves. Like the soil, if we weren't here, would look after itself. Like there's no doubts about. It. There's no concern for me about the planet. The planet's gonna be fine. It's whether we're gonna be around or not. So for me, it's about dealing with the shit that we're all carrying around subconsciously so that we can then tend to the soil like we should be tending to ourselves. Like I didn't realise all my life I've been poisoning the soil and poisoning myself. It's, it's, there's no difference. How we treat ourselves is kind of how we treat our environment. So it's a very much as, like I'm, I'm a, to put it, like we'll come back to the actual answer here of the question is um, I'd say my strength would be actually just my listening. Awesome. Well, mate, um, we might wrap it up. I was going to do a Q and A, but I'm out of I'm out of memory, and I reckon we'll we'll catch up on the Zoomy thing anyway, on the virtual thing. So we'll do it then. Yep. Um, that's been awesome. I trust that that is going to be very very interesting listening to our listeners um, and viewers. Now that we got the bloody thing sorted out again. Um, I've so enjoyed that chat. Thank you for being so transparent. I, I knew that it would be a very transparent, honest and courageous discussion. And it's been lovely sitting here in our makeshift <laughs> desk. It's, it's this is, tidied up a bit. No, this is, no it's, it's not held up to tidy up, mate. No, and um, this is the, one of the most resourceful setups I've ever, ever had here. Tabletop on the old thing there. Lovely view. The day has cleared up. Um, I've got to get myself down the road, as do you, so we might wrap it up there. And um, anyone who wants to know more about Jono, and oh, I've got some websites we're going we're gonna to put in the show notes as well, um, references to some books and so on. And also, oh, so um, Natural Performance, is it naturalperformance.com? Naturalperformance.co.nz. Yep, cool. So check that out. Um, for those who want to know, I'll, I'll do a Q and A with with John another another time, but that will be available to our Patreon members. Anyone who wants to join Patreon, go to charlieannett.com.au. You get for ten dollars a month a one uh, a monthly webinar with one of our previous guests. You'll get some videos and extra stuff from me, transcripts of the episodes, plus um, a Q and A of one of our guests every week. I think, especially in the off season, too, it keeps people entertained in the off season. Um, right, mate, let's wrap it up. Awesome. Mate, so good. Fantastic. And next week on The Regenerative Journey, I interview Jade Miles down there in Victoria, Stanley, beautiful part of the world, uh, lots of apples on their farm and all over the place, all around that region. And it's uh, her, she and her husband, Charlie, do some amazing things down there. Uh, on, and there is on their, on their farm called Black Barn Farm, there is a barn there. It is black. In that barn, lots of cool things happen. Workshops, training sessions, um, they grow apples, they make all sorts of cool stuff with them and all sorts of other sort of homesteading type stuff. It's fantastic. Um, really enjoyed my sit down with Jade and her in her house and um, chatted away there. But you have that to look forward to next week. Jade Miles on The Regenerative Journey. This podcast is produced by Reese Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.